You are on Max's Island, a podcast by Meet Max Power. On Max's Island podcast, you'll hear the lived experiences of people who choose to live life a little differently. It might be a story of when they took time out and dared to do something crazy. Perhaps they made a decision to leave it all behind and follow their dreams. Or maybe they just stopped listening to what other people thought and did what was right for them. This experience becomes a story that is part of them and one that you need to hear. So, now that you're on Max's Island, listen to the wisdom in these stories and you too will be inspired to do what you have always wanted to do. Today on Max's Island, I'm joined by Dean Margetts. This has been a long time coming, so welcome to the island, Dean. It's a pleasure to be part of Max's Island, Tony. Dino, on Max's Island, we love to hear stories of people who have made a decision in their life that perhaps has changed it all, they've done something for themselves, or they've made a decision some time ago and they've ended up in a place where they really didn't think they were going to. Have you got a story for us on Max's Island today where that might have happened to you? I guess I go back to my footy journey, Tony, where it all started. I played my whole life at the Maddington Footy Club from when I was seven years of age. Dad took me down there. I wasn't quite sure what to expect. Maroon and gold, socks pulled up to the knees. You know, your dad's your coach and your best mate's the dad's the manager. So I played my whole life from under sevens right the way through to playing about 57 league games for Maddington. Thoroughly loved my time. It was regarded as the family club. Just happens to be this year's our 100th year anniversary, centenary year. I'm actually umpiring a game in a couple of weeks at Maddington, ironically. We'll get to that a bit later. Uh, so I played, yeah, 57 league games. I got to a point where I lost the passion for the game, not playing the game. And why is that, do you think? Oh, probably just the long, just we're unsuccessful as a club on the field. You know, I was not a big, strong bloke. I was skinny, you know, copping a few dead legs and getting roughed up a bit. So I thought, oh, he's playing what I want to do. So I, I quit playing or retired at 21. Um, and then I thought, no, but I still love this game. How do I stay involved? And I, I remember um, contacting our footy club and seeing if I could coach with three of my best mates, Craig Anderson and Shane Logan, still best mates to this day. So we ended up coaching this under-13s team. Uh, we rocked up and there's all these kids there and we had a player in that team and his name was Dominic Cassissi. Ended oh, up being yeah. Port, Adelaide. Port Adelaide football club captain. Really enjoyed playing and co- coaching the kids. Um, thoroughly enjoyed that. Um, got to the point where getting to training at four o'clock was hard with work. So we coached the, the kids for that year, uh, myself, Shane and Craig. We made the grand final. Really emotional day, even third. And we tried to make it really professional. We had the streamers and the banners and all the words on the wall. And we got banned by about 13 points. It was really draining though. So you have an idea what it's like at the highest level in these big games. So I enjoyed that. And then it was just by chance, I was reading the local comment news and I had umpires wanted. And I looked at my mate, I said, I could do that for a couple of years. How fun would that be? How hard could it be? 
get a bit of pocket money and, and, and do something different in a game which I would never have thought of you know, 10 years ago. So I went down to my local, um, it was the South Suburban Junior Umpires Association, now the Demons District, and joined up. And I was a little bit older, so I started umpiring, I was about 21, 22. Did um, a couple of years of juniors, got up to quickly the under-17s quite fast, and just by chance I was umpiring a Huntingdale and Canningvale game. And David Johnson, the then umpire's boss and you know, highly decorated umpire, was there. His son was playing for Huntingdale. And I was doing what I just thought was okay. And he came out at halftime, introduced himself. Now, not, I knew who he was because I was a mad footy head. I was just go to footy every weekend. So I knew the Mike Balls, the Greg Scroops, the Peter Reppers, the David Johnsons, Phil O'Reilly. Um, and he introduced me. I said, wow, yeah, I, I know you, David. And he goes, look, I'm, I run the umpires at the Waffle. I think you've got some talent there. We, we might get you to come down and have a pre-season. And I'm like, that'd be great. Here's my address. I scratched down on a piece of paper. And I'm thinking to myself, there is no way the umpire's boss of the waffle is going to send Denmark gets this skinny little punk from Maddington <laughs> to join the waffle. No way. And to his credit, I got this letter in October, come down, came down. I always thought I was really quite fit. Um, did the, the bridges, 10 Ks, wasn't as fit as I thought. So I knew then that I've got a bit of work to do, but thoroughly loved the camaraderie, the closeness of the group, the competitive nature of the group. Um, so I did my first um, Colts game in 1998. Um, I progressed to reserves pretty quickly. Did my first league game in 1999, um, East Fremantle, South Fremantle, Freo Derby at East Fremantle. Earl Sporting was captain for the Sharks and Peter Worsfold was captain for um, South Fremantle. Did we win? Now, I'm an unabashed South supporter, so that's that. important know to know. I know that, Tony. Um, <laughs> I generally can't remember. I, I, I don't know. It's funny. I, I don't actually know who won that game. So I did that. 2000, season comes around. I do the Waffle Grand Final. So here I am. Wow. I've done. I think I've done 37 league games. I think it was the the lowest amount of league games a person has done to do a Waffle Grand Final. So it was pretty significant. So I did that, couldn't believe it. Still almost learning how to umpire. Um, 2001 season came around. I um, I won the best pre-season medal for the, the Ross Capes medal for the best umpire for that pre-season. I uh, got handed to by Clint Roberts, who was a footy boss for the Waffle before the game at, at Laughlin Park. Then I did my hamstring. So that was like my first little bit of like, oh, geez, injuries? Does that actually happen in umpiring? Yeah. So I did that year, which was pretty positive for me. I got to the prelim final and I made a mistake where I missed Scott Chisholm punching a guy in the guts in a game. And Greg Scoop was our coach. And I just expected I'd be doing the grand final because I just thought I had the best year. And he came down and said to me, look, you've been in the reserves next week, mate. That's going to cost you. And it was like, Poof. that was the first moment where I've, I felt adversity and disappointment in umpiring because it had been such a dream run for me. That's a really interesting because as a grandstand viewer of the game and you hear all the comments about umpires and that you, you know, you're, you're not under scrutiny mm. and you're not like the players and you make mistakes and you get away with it, etc. That's not the case at all. That's not the case. It's we're, we're one of the most accountable groups that you could imagine and I'll get to the AFL part shortly but yeah, so that was my first real, you know, tough moment, a bit of adversity umpiring. So, and I really sulked up too. It was, I was spat the dummy, I was sulking for the week and I thought I'd get umpire of the year and I didn't and I sulked even more. And, and I remember Greg Sweet pulling me aside and, and giving me a real cook on my character and my behaviour and I a guess my standards. A David Noble level cook, do you reckon? He didn't apologise. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it was something like that. But it was pointed and, and I do look back on it now and go, you know what, it was probably the clip that I needed to help me understand even though I wasn't 15 I was 23 but I was you know I was an emotional sort of guy and I thought I, I deserve that but in hindsight now it's probably a moment that maybe made my career what it turned out to be 
So then um, pre-season 2002, I was asked to trial for the AFL. There was four spots and there was nine umpires across the country going for it. Uh, it was myself and Mark Fussell. Um, one umpire pulled out through injury. So there was four guys looking, uh, sorry, eight guys looking for four spots. And I said to myself, well, I'm, I'm, I'm a 50-50 chance of getting here. So I just, I made myself as fit as I could. Um, I remember I was a footy head. So I used to know all the players' names. You know, I, you know new players, I would just know their first name. So on field, when we're mic'd up and it comes through on the broadcast, you could hear me using these names. So when the call came in in March 2002 and Jeff Geeshan rang me, and he said, Dano, look, we would normally come over and, and deliver the news face-to-face. But since this is a positive call, we're going to tell you over the phone. And he offered me a contract for the AFL. I was working for Sands and McDougall at the time, the stationery company, and my, my company knew what I was going for and, and were part of it. So I'm in the office behind the glass doors on the phone, you know, raising my fist like I'm doing to you now, which was a huge moment. And he said, look, one of the things that set you apart from the others was the fact that you had the ability to know every player's names. And that kind of shocked us a bit, how you just could reel them off. And these were obscure names, brand new players. And that was the point of difference that I had to give me that edge to get onto the um, AFL. So, Do you think that was something that was... A little bit before its time because now you know you, as I said with the umpires mic'd up and they do refer to players always by their first name now and you know not number 19 or number mm. 21 or by their surname but 20 years ago that wasn't the case probably not as much as it is today you're right now for a young umpire or a new umpire it was probably a bit foreign for them to hear that it wasn't I wasn't Darren Goldspink or Scott McLaren or you know Steve McBurney um, I had no experience in the AFL, so I was just doing what I thought was right, and it turned out to be right. So I was offered a contract, and that was in 2002, and here we are, you know, 20 years later, having achieved 377 AFL games, AFL life member, you know, two prelim finals. I've done a game in Dubai. I've done an Anzac Day game. I've just been really blessed with the career that I've had. Could I've, Would I have liked to have gone on for a couple more years? Probably, um, but sometimes those decisions are taken out of your hands. But I look back very fondly on my time, um, there's been some ups and downs along the way. It's a, it's a roller coaster ride, umpiring 100%. But people often ask me, um, Tony, do you regret not doing a grand final? And I, and I don't have a regret because I wouldn't change anything. But would I have loved to have done one? Yes, of course I would. But if someone had said, would you like to do 34 games in a grand final or 377 and all the experiences in there and the people I've met, the friendships I've made, I don't think I'd change that for the world. On Max's Island, we hear stories from a lot of people and we talk about the wholeness of the person. So those uh, guests who come on and talk about their careers and we often find that one of the most important things is for them to be themselves in their careers and not have this work career and this other life. Interesting you actually with umpiring and and the professionalism that you know when you came in you know you Mm. said you were given a contract and but it wasn't a full-time job back then so you actually had to run two careers mm. how long did you run two careers and did you do that for the whole your whole time in umpiring and were you different in either of those two careers one as, as an umpire one in the corporate world uh, I always had a job it was always I always went into the umpiring like it was my sport and my passion my hobby claw you will um, I was very fortunate I felt you know gave me a good income gave me some great life skills I met some great people but I never I was never full-on wholly into it I loved having that balance of a job where I could go interact with other people um, have a purpose you know I had some really good supportive employers because I mean I've got to travel a bit there's things I've got to do with training and that so I was very very lucky at the same token I think it also brought a what's the right word not profile or, or credibility but my role 
I think also could help businesses with you know who I was and what I did and that, that AFL thing that brand's pretty strong so I had a reasonably high profile in, in footy in Perth for a period of time where I was probably the face of umpiring. So I think when you'd go to meetings or meet people, it was always a bit of a talking point. At times, you know, it became a little bit exhausting because it was always the question about, oh, what's this player like and who's that like? But I loved it because it was a connecting point for me. But yeah, I, I, I loved the fact that I could go to work, do my thing, and then, you know, four o'clock, shoot off, do training. And then most weekends for me, we're getting on a plane on a Friday and getting home on a Sunday and then starting work in Monday. So people, Victorian umpires often tell me, Tony, how on earth did you get on these planes for so long? Because, you know, the Perth-Melbourne trip is significant. It's four hours. And, you know, on a Sunday night when you've just done 14 Ks on the field, it's not the easiest sit <laughs> to get home at midnight. So I think some of my colleagues sort of marvelled at the resilience or the durability of being able to do that but for me I knew no different you know if I wanted to participate at the highest level you know have plane will travel and that was just part of what I did. How many plane trips do you reckon you had in your time as an umpire? Uh, I didn't I didn't know those numbers until someone went and did the research showing so I did out of my 377 games I did 237 away which accumulates to about 1.6 million kilometres which extrapolates to I think it's eight times travelled around the world so that's a lot of flight so when, when you talk about like the players like you know David Mundy and Dean Cox and Shannon Hearn you know their durability to, to play 300 plus games and I'm not getting you know tackled or collided into all those you know all that collision stuff so I, I marvel those people for sure um, but yeah just a random question do you get the frequent flyer points? We do get the frequent flyer nice. points. Always very handy. Um, I was a platinum member. Unfortunately, not doing it now. Those points seem to dwindle. They don't get topped up anymore. Don't <laughs> so, um, but always very helpful to get us to, to Melbourne. Um, my partner and I want to go to the footy week and just use points to do it. So that's always been nice. But I guess you're the person sitting on the seat, so I guess you're entitled to do it. But the AFL certainly allowed us to have those points, which was nice and appreciated. In all of your time going to the East and, and attending AFL games, I'm sure there were some really expensive interesting experiences that um, happened to you um, and I know one in particular that um, I guess showed the human side of you do you want to just tell us a little bit about that uh, that time when you ended up in South Australia yeah that was a bit of a moment so 2015 I had a really good pre-season um, I was doing a um, I think it was a NAB Cup game back then it was St Kilda versus Melbourne. It was a really hot day. I remember being at Marvel Stadium, or Eddie had back then, and it was really warm. Like I can remember that the, the heat of the day sort of struck me for a Melbourne sort of March day. Did the game, uh, went okay, I think. Um, did my usual, um, did my recovery, jumped on the, in the car, got to the airport, you know, went through all the, the lounges and jumped on the plane. I was sitting in, I think, the, the, the row behind one and two. Uh, so I was just behind the, the first classies or the business class. About 15 minutes into that flight, Tony, I, I started to feel some pain in my chest. And I thought, oh my God, that's unusual. What's that? And I thought maybe it's just a bit of fatigue from the game. So I got up, went for a walk, back of the plane, just sort of wet my face and um, just bumped in one of the air hostess. Look, I just don't feel great, but um, um, do you have like a wet towel? Because I just feel really hot. And she goes, oh, here's a little chucks. And she gave it to me and off I went. And about 10 minutes after I sat down, I, I, I just still didn't feel right. And so I went back down there and I said, look, I, I just don't feel great. And she said, well, take a seat here and we'll... Um, um, we'll get you another cloth and give you some water. And I sat down. Then I started to go a bit sort of white. You know, my, my colour had sort of come out of my face. And then they got a little bit worried. So then they paged for a doctor on the plane. And I'm thinking, wow, that's a bit serious. I just sort of had a tummy ache. Um, and then the doctor comes running down, happened to be sitting in 1A or up the front with his family. And his name was Dr. Livingston. <laughs> 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 and uh, <laughs> ended up becoming a reasonable contact of mine in time. 
so he assessed me. He was a, he was a Scottish fellow and he was asking, um, uh, what were you doing? And I, I said, I was umpiring footy. He said, oh, ref and cricket, were you? And I said, no, umpiring footy. So the connection with what we did, he had no clue. He looked in my eyes and tested me and um, he said, look, oh, I don't want to say this, but I think we need to probably get you to a hospital pretty quickly. Something just doesn't look right in, in the way you look and the way you, um, sort of the signs you're showing. They weren't thinking it was a heart attack, were they? No, no. Um, and some would question whether I did have a heart. That's <laughs> to be decided by other people. But no, it wasn't that. It was, uh, they, they didn't know. He didn't know without all these, um, his box of tricks. He was just going on what he sort of, I guess, a gut feel. And they said, look, um, we've got two options. We either divert this plane to Ad, uh, Adelaide or we go to Kalgoorlie. And then he said, look, I don't think Kalgoorlie have the things that you're going to need. We probably need to go to, to, to Adelaide. And I said, look, I don't want to be that person who delays this 184 people getting home to their families late because I've got a tummy ache. A bit of gastro, yeah. And they said, look, I understand what you're saying, but I think this is a decision that we need to take out of your hands and, and make for you. So that's, a, that's a massive call for somebody huge. to make. And, and I... Did that scare you when yep. he made those, when he started saying that? Yeah. Because the, I guess the I'm interested to know what the reaction was from the flight crew because they must get ill people all the time and the decision to make to say we'll just sit down and toughen it out yeah. is is probably a common thing. But for them, how did they react to his uh, interpretation? They, they of the just situation? Sort of, they, well, they they sort of accepted it. Like I guess they're trained to not show stress and 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 anxiety because if I, if I see their reactions and I start to panic because this is diverting a plane, Tony. This is yeah. this is big time stuff. So they make the announcement that um, unfortunately due to the ill health of a passenger, um, we have to divert this plane. Then you hear a few groans and a few things and I'm going, oh, well, that's me. I'm at the back and I'm feeling really uncomfortable about the whole process, uh, but at the same time feeling not great. So we land the plane. There was a few nurses who were on the plane who came to check on me because they realised that the person who was not well, me, at the back was, you know, looked after. Then they bring this wheelchair on and I get put in the wheelchair and... If you can imagine, you're getting pulled backwards, but you're facing the passengers as you get pulled out. <laughs> and it was really uncomfortable. And some people sort of said, oh, good luck, mate. I hope you're okay. And then I heard one person say, um, oh, at least the Eagle's going to get a fair crack this year because my guests <laughs> won't be out there. So people sort of knew who I was, even on this plane. So I was like, gee, great. In my time of need, I'm still getting a whack. So I got pulled out of the plane. Still feeling really uncomfortable. About these poor passengers have to wait and go through a delay and then I got to the hospital and long story short I had an ulcer which had burst and ruptured a hole in my in my abdomen which where on earth that came from I don't know so they had some well I did they were talking about either ripping my stomach open and doing or doing keyhole thankfully it was keyhole because if that surgery was the the, the chest one it was like a six-week recovery and I had to come home by a train so I ended up being in Adelaide for, for two weeks you know up and all the cores and almost had to learn how to walk again it was a real tough injury but lying in the bed there it made me realize how much I missed what I do like just not training for that week or missing that game and I knew I was going to miss probably half the season uh, it was tough um, having Adelaide umpires come in and visit me from AFL was nice you know having um, the AFL flew Katrina over to be with me for that week it was really good so I was really well supported and I didn't realize then I guess my profile in the footy industry was as high as it was because then I got these calls I made a, a post on Facebook saying if anyone wants to go to Adelaide and you want a diversion just you know a bit of a joke thing actually but people picked up on it so I get a call from Basil Zemplis and then Tim Gossage and all these people were interested in, in me and which was like a bit of a moment I thought wow maybe um, umpiring is a, a more of a profile sport than I probably thought and how did you recover how quickly yeah, pretty good because obviously being fit and healthy. I mean, I remember one time the nurse came in and said, my God, your, your blood pressure is 
unbelievable and you know it's like like for what you for what you've gone through and what it is it's crazy and i they said what do you do and i told them i'm an umpire and i'm pretty fit and i train a lot so being fit and healthy i think is important when you go through a um a nasty injury or surgery um so yeah i had to let you go back and have rest and then walk and had to jog again and i just went umpire and i thought i was right but then i ended up coming back through the waffle and eventually i think my first afl game was probably round 10 so I'm just thinking, if I can just do 10 games for the balance of this 2015, so that'll be a, a great win for me. In the end, I um, ended up doing a final, which was unbelievable. Like I did like 12 games. And I had this attitude where I had no stress. I wasn't worrying about finals. I was just going to umpire with just that gay abandon and that freedom and ended up working out well for me to a final um, that year. So that was probably one of my more satisfying moments to come from literally barely being able to walk in March to my first game that year being in probably July to doing a final. So that's probably my top five most satisfying moments of my AFL career. On Max's Island, we tell stories. And when I get a chance to tell a story, there's one story that I love to tell about a girl called Catherine who was in my life for literally a couple of weeks. But we went through a medical emergency together and this is 20 years ago mm. I don't know where she, she is in the world today but I often think about that scenario and and sliding door moments and things like that so my question to you is firstly you mentioned the Dr Livingston it was really a sliding door moment that he was on that plane and he was in your life for a very short time is he still in your life uh, no he's not um, but we did catch up with dr livingston and his family um they'd moved down to albany that was that was why he was flying to um to perth he was on, you know, making this move and um i think the media and channel seven today tonight wanted to do a story they got in contact with him and they came to my home and i bought him some scottish flags and i signed a footy for him and a shirt and put him into it and had him out the backyard doing some bounces so it was a bit of a fun thing I met his children because the reality is tony um you know if he didn't make that decision you know when i got to hospital they, they said look if you hadn't have diverted the play and that bled out, you know, things could have been pretty bad for you. So, and I knew what that meant. So that was pretty significant. And there are, I don't think of him every day, but there are times where I'll, I'll, I'll glance up at a plane and there'll be a moment where I'll, I'll often, I generally when I get on a plane now, I walk past where he would have sat and it's hard not to think at times. But I did travel a lot post the injury, so it became a bit of the norm. But yeah, I've still got photos. It's, it's funny, I probably should even send him a random text and see how he's going. Now, this might flesh that out because I, I probably do, I mean, a lot more than what I've given him, yeah. Yeah. And I suppose he, for him, he doesn't expect anything no. either. Um, it was a sliding door moment for him. Yeah. He got a free footy, so that was good for yeah. him. <laughs> <laughs> you mentioned that was one of your top five sort of experiences in football. I expect that we'll invite you back on Max and Silent to tell us some of those other stories. But just before we go, you've named a few people that you've met in football. I don't want to put you on the spot here or, or single anybody out in particular, but characters in football. And so rather naming names, but are there people that you know personally from behind the scenes and then there's that public persona and they're totally different? Behind the scenes and they're totally different. Gee, I, I think footy's a very genuine sport and... A lot of the players, what you see out there is what you get, um, even behind closed doors. And um, obviously being based in Perth, I've got many opportunities to, to train with the West Coast Club and obviously Frio. So you get to see the players in their training environments, their their social habits in the gym. So you do get to see a bit. Um, but most most of the people 
I'm finding it hard to answer the question because I don't, I don't really have one where you go, no, nah, this person's a complete Jekyll and Hyde. It's just not, it's not what, it's not what it is. No. Um, what I will say, just harking back to that that plane thing, you know, getting text messages from Alistair Clarkson, Ross Lyon, John Worsfold, to name three, um, was pretty shocking for me. Like to think that these guys, you know, the highest profile coaches, found time in their day to wish some little skinny umpire in Perth all the best. So that they, they that might probably shock a few people that, you know, Ross Lyon and Alistair Clarkson, these hardened edged people, still have a soft side. Now, whether they were doing it to get a free kick, I don't know. <laughs> probably not. But that was nice for me. Um I really I really appreciated that. Yeah, so that that makes sense that as you say, that the genuineness of people that are in the industry, but also it, it reflects how tight the industry is. Yeah. And that the elitism of that we as the public put on players and then and also perhaps coaches is a little bit more equalized where they they appreciate that all facets of the the industry are important for the industry to succeed yeah. and, while, and whilst players are you know the, the marquee um, product the they wouldn't exist if the rest of us or the rest of and me as a fan but Everybody else in the industry was was there. Yeah, I think I think the role of the umpire has become more profile now and more pronounced. Obviously, we we know we're short of umpires in community footy, and and you now the AFL is probably the, the flagship, clearly of you know what we see on TV. But certainly, I think um you know players and coaches and, and clubs understand how difficult the role is, and there's that real sort of respect and understanding of um, of both sides, you know, the playing side um, and also the umpiring side too. So just as we wind up, um, and I have no doubt that you'll be a returning guest on Max's Island but I'm interested to know um, and this is an opportunity for you to give a bit of a plug Um, often I give uh, our guests a bit of a plug (laughs) so just tell us what you're doing now and is there any message you want to put out because it is topical at the moment the um, lack of umpires uh, or the need probably not say lack of umpires but the need to get more umpires through the the system so um, yeah well, the the ti- yours. Yeah, the timing of this um, interview is very um, appropriate. And we're in the middle of um, AFL Community Umpiring Week, which is a week where we want to just appreciate and recognise the role the umpire plays. And that's from AFL to, you know, to state league right through to, to country and juniors. Um, I'm actually umpiring a junior game tonight, um, year seven, eight girls game at Kulbinia. Watch that hammy. What's the hammy? Yeah, so I've got a young kid from East Perth coming with me to be. Hopefully, I can give him some skills and some tips, and he gets a kick out of it as well. As much as I'm looking forward to it, um, my role at the moment on the um, the Waffle and Waffle W umpiring operations manager for the WA Footy Commission. So I've been very fortunate, Tony, where I've allowed my passion and my hobby to almost become my now nine to five job. So I'm in footy sort of twenty four seven. I still go and umpire some country games on the weekend. But what I would say to anyone listening is, um, you know, footy umpiring is a great sport. And any parents listening, it's the perfect, I think, growth environment for people to develop as people. Um, It gives you skills. I mean, today with phones and social media, kids have lost the way to interact with people, how to speak. Umpiring, you need to speak. You need to look someone in the eye and talk and explain decisions. Um, deal with the manager after the game with some administrative stuff. You have to build some resilience. You know, it's not always easy. Someone's going to give you a clip across the ear occasionally, you know, verbally. How are you going to handle that? And I've always found that in my time going for jobs, when I had on my CV, AFL umpire, waffle umpire, all these years, the first question most people asked me was, so what's this umpiring like? What, what's it like? I'm interested. It's a great talking point. It's an icebreaker. So... It can bring you great things on field, uh, but absolutely the skills that it can bring off field for young kids coming into the system is huge and can never be understated. And I've often said to people who walk through the, the halls at our work, you know, we want you to come in who you are, but we want you to leave a better, more rounded 
person um, and the umpiring stuff will look after itself but that's the most important thing from our point of view building good character and developing people thanks dean that's great advice thanks for being on the island really appreciate your story and as i said there is no doubt that we'll have you back on the island in the near future the island was not lonely tony great to be part of it thank you Sense was engaged, his mind was as clear as the sky. Completely alone.